Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. As Pastor Shane said, we're in the middle of a series entitled, In Need of a King. And David has done almost everything right up until chapter 11. He's the anti-Saul. In fact, he's a man after God's own heart. But in 2 Samuel 11, David was not where he was supposed to be. He took Bathsheba as his wife, and her husband Uriah killed. This is the black eye on David's record. David did repent of his sin, but the consequences will be severe. We've seen four results of that. The first one, the name of the Lord was blasphemed. Second, the child of David's lust was killed. Third, the sword would never depart from his house. And fourthly, uh, David reaped the consequences of his sin in his children. Uh, As chapter 12, verse 11 said, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. David's son has already died. His his daughter, Tamar, has already been raped by her half-brother Amnon. And Amnon has been murdered by Absalom. Absalom has fled for Absalom with his grandfather, the king of Jeshur. Absalom was allowed to return to Jerusalem, and after two years he was allowed to see the king. Um, Chapter 14, verse 33, says, Then Joab went to the king and told him, and he summoned Absalom. So he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and and the king kissed Absalom. We get to our text today, 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 17, to read there with me. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And he said, Your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel. And Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right. But there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take control of him, take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go and pay my vow which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebrew. For your servant vowed a vow while I lived in Jeshur in Aram, saying, If the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. The king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. With Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city of Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. And then a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of men of Israel have gone after Absalom. And David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly lest he overtake us and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. Then the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever the Lord the king decides. 
So after the king went out and all his household after him, and the king left ten concubines to keep the house, and the king went out and all the people after him, and they halted at the last house. Second Samuel chapter 15 through 17 is our text this morning that I'll teach through. But this section, chapter 15 through 20, deals with Absalom's revolt against his father and king, David. Absalom, he's going to gather followers, forcing David into exile, and he'll seek to take the throne by force. However, the Lord's with David, as he has been since the beginning. He provides him with men and supplies and frustrates Absalom's plans so that Absalom ends up being killed in war. We'll see that the next time we study. And his cause is is defeated. The coup is put down. David will return to Jerusalem and reward those who have been loyal to him. And as Morgan read the text this morning, we see Absalom, he's back in good graces with his dad. He's killed his brother after he raped Absalom's sister. And he's been in exile, so to speak, for several years. He's back in Jerusalem. And Absalom takes full advantage of this. In verse 1, it says he, he began acting like he was the king. He rode in a chariot, and he had a group of soldiers that would run ahead of him, kind of pompous-like, to identify him as someone very important. In fact, First Samuel chapter 8, verse 11, Samuel the prophet warned Israel when they said they wanted a king, like all the nations. He said a king would do this exact thing. These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. So Saul was that type of king, and David has not been for the most part, but here Absalom is following. It looks like in Saul's footsteps. But it's a couple things from our text today. It's a lot to get through. We won't be able to read all the text, but we'll get through um, most of 15 through 17. But the first thing we'll learn today is that we need to separate ourselves from overtly ambitious people. That's kind of a given. And being ambitious is a virtue. It's a good thing. I think um, sometimes I struggle with our, our young generation. They seem to lack ambition today. I mean, they're okay with being older, still living at home. They're okay with having a job that can't pay all their bills, but they can kind of get by. Um, So ambition is something that can be a virtue, but to desire notoriety or position at the expense of others is not a trait we want to see in other people, and we see that in Absalom. And to say that Absalom is ambitious is is an understatement. I mean, verses 2 through 6, we see him playing the politician and him wooing the masses, if you will. And in Moses, even since the time of Moses, a major function of Israel's leaders was to administer divine justice for the people. And we see Absalom trying to do that. He hasn't declared himself king, but yet he's carrying out this executive responsibility as though he were the king. Now think about David. He had won the hearts of the people, but he had done that through sacrifice, through service. But Absalom's doing it the easy way. He's doing it through flattery and through deceit. It's like he's the perfect politician. Notice Absalom seems to take an interest in each person, asking questions, where they're from, telling them that their complaints are warranted. 
And he subtly mentions how the king doesn't have anyone to hear their grievances. And it's kind of like if I was king, I would handle this differently. I'd administer justice for you, he tells each one. And he suggests that David's not just. He puts doubt in their minds and he sides with each one that comes to the gate with a concern. They would come in to the city gate to file grievances. And it says that by doing so, Absalom stole the hearts and the men of Israel. Well, it's been said, win the hearts and you have the brains and the purses of all. I think that's true in this case, for sure. And, and I have to ask myself, where's David in all this? Where, where's, where's he? Because this went on, the scripture tells us, for four years. Absalom is sowing discontent among the people. And David, we know he trusted Absalom too much, but it's, it's like he stuck his head in the sand again, hasn't it? And Absalom was smooth. And what he said made sense. It really did. He, he spoke with venomous insinuations. He gave kisses, but they were false. And he won the hearts of the people and undermined his father's authority. Verse 7 through 12 of chapter 15, Absalom deceives his father. He tells David that he wants to go to Hebron to worship. Now, of course, David agrees. I mean, what father would keep his son from doing something that pleased the Lord? Absalom tells him he has to go fill, fulfill a vow. And so I can imagine David thinking, wow, my son, he's keeping his word to the Lord. Yeah, that's great. My son's doing something right for a change. It's like he's using God as, uh, for publicity almost, you see, in Absalom's life. And while he's away, what does he do? He organizes a coup. Look at verse 10. In 12 of chapter 15. Read it. Let's read that again. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. And then verse 12, And while Absalom was offering the sacrifice, he sent for Ahithophel, the Gileonite, David's counselor from his city, Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. David, he hears about this coup attempt, and what does he do? But he decides to flee Jerusalem. And sometimes you don't understand, well, why would he leave his throne? Why would, it, it, he, had the, he was a rightful king, had been so for decades, and he's just going to leave? He doesn't even put up a fight, but verse 14 tells us why. Look at verse 14 again. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So why does, he, why does he leave? He leaves because he knows Absalom will stop at nothing to take the throne. And there's going to be civil war if he doesn't. So he's, he's got the, his people's interest at heart. He's the good shepherd, right? He's trying to shepherd his people and trying to protect his people. So on the way out of the city, we're going to meet a, a number of individuals who play major roles in David's fight. But David didn't leave anybody there that would pose a threat in the city. He left ten concubines to take care of the house. And he and all those that support him left the city. It even tells us, look at verse 18, And all his servants passed by him, and all the Cherethites and the Pelethites. These were, we're not sure exactly, could have been Philistines. And then it says, All the 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath passed on before the king. And that last group of folks, they are, they are Philistines. Now think about this. This is a type of leader David was. When David was running from Saul, 
and he's in Philistia decades ago. These people began to follow David, and they came back with David, and they've been with David ever since. And so he has these loyal, faithful soldiers who are with him. It's kind of like an honor guard. It's funny, David's son became his enemy while a Philistine proved to be his friend. That's interesting, isn't it? Look at verse 23. And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kidron, and all the people passed on toward the wilderness. I mean, it's, it's interesting. David has served his nation faithfully for 30 years. He's led them through battle after battle, being victorious, being victorious, and being victorious. He put the people before himself almost in every way, with the exception of Bathsheba and Uriah. He's put his nation first, and he's led them well. So I ask you a question. Can you lead like David and be a sh have a shepherd's heart like David and in, in, a, in a drop of a hat have people turn on you and follow this egocentric, charismatic individual who has absolutely no credentials? Yeah, it happens all the time. It happens every day. It's amazing, isn't it? If you read on, continue reading the story, those who, who are carrying the ark, they're, the priests and Levites are going out of the city in this entourage, these, all those supporters of David are, are leaving the city. And David, he tells them to go back into the city, those who are carrying the ark. And let's read verses 25 through 28. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems, what seems good to him. So it's, it's interesting, isn't it? If David, David says, if, if this is part of God's discipline in my life, then I, I just need to endure it. But if it's not, then Lord's going to restore him. See, God believed in, David believed in God's sovereignty, didn't he? And he submitted to that. He submitted to the Lord's will. But then he says, verse 27, The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons. Ahimaaz and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So he sends them back, the priest and their two sons. He sends them back into Jerusalem and says, Look, you, you, you go back with the ark and you, you become my informants. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait to hear word from you about what, uh, what Absalom is doing. So those two men and their sons, they go back into Jerusalem and they're going to work for David from the inside. Look at verse 30. David is weeping as he climbs the, the Mount of Olives, and it says that he's barefoot, and those, all of those with him, all this entourage, they're all barefoot too. They all take their sandals off, and they take their shoes off, and they're walking barefoot. It's a lament, right? They're grieving. And then on top of that, he was told that Ahithophel was with Absalom, and Ahithophel was his chief advisor, is who he went to for counsel. And in Ahithophel, his words were, were like, almost like the, word, the Lord's words. I mean, everybody did what he said. He gave good counsel. So here you have Ahithophel becoming a Judas-type figure for David. Look at verse 31. After he was told that Ahithophel was with Absalom, it says, David prayed, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now it's interesting, Ahithophel, why would Ahithophel 
abandon David and follow Absalom. And, and I, we're, it doesn't say, we're not real sure, but it, it's kind of interesting. You know who his granddaughter was, Ahithophel? His granddaughter was Bathsheba, who David took as his own wife and had her husband killed. I don't know, that may be a reason, but he, he abandons David and he sides with Absalom. So David asks, okay, Ahithophel is... is is, is on Absalom's side, and he's a wise counselor. Man, that's bad for David because Ahithophel is wise, and he gives good counsel. Oh, man, that's a, that's a tough one. But notice how long it, it took for God to answer this prayer, verse 32. It didn't take very long because um, Hushai came to meet David. And who is Hushai? In verse 37, it calls him David's friend. But it was one that David sent back into the city, and he told him to pretend to be loyal to Absalom and he could be a spy and he could work with Zadok and Abiathar and their two sons to be informants for David as to Absalom's activities. And that's what happened. And we continue on into chapter 16 and Ziba, it's Mephibosheth's manager, remember him? He was the servant put in charge of Mephibosheth's, um, all of his um, fields and he was in charge of taking care of Mephibosheth. Well, he comes and meets David and he brings a lot of supplies, a lot of food. And he tells him uh, again that um, another blow to David's morale. He, he tells him that Mephibosheth also has, has stayed in Jerusalem and he was going to uh, try to stay there and side with Absalom as well. And we'll find out later that that's not true, but David doesn't know that at the time. So things are, are getting going from bad to worse. And you, you get to chapter 16, verse 5 through 14. Shammai, it's interesting, this, this man... Um, look at verse 5 of chapter 16. When David came to Baharim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shammai, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David, and all the servants of King David, and all the people, and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. So, Shammai, you got this man who was loyal to Saul. And think about, David has been king for about 30 years. And Israel had, had known no time like, like they, had, they had lived the last 30 years. They had had peace. They had been in safety. Anybody that came against them, David quickly um, would, would squash that. I mean, David never lost a battle. And so there's safety there and there's prosperity there and the kingdom is growing and the people are becoming more and more prosperous. But Shammai didn't, he didn't, he, he wouldn't seem satisfied. He was a loyalist to Saul. And what, is, what does he say? He, he's cursing David. And he makes three accusations that are wrong. He tells him, he pretty much says, get out of here, you're a murderer, you're a scoundrel. And he says, the Lord's paying you back for all the bloodshed in, in Saul's clan. Well, number one, that's a lie. You remember, what did David do? David defended Saul, kept his men from killing Saul, and, and, and protected him. And he's protected Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. So that, that's a lie. The second, the second thing he, he says is he says, you stole Saul's throne. Well, that's another lie, isn't it? It was given to him by God because God had taken his anointing from Saul. He says, you stole the throne, and now the Lord's given it to your son, your son Absalom. Well, the Lord didn't give, that's, that's line number three, the Lord didn't give it to Absalom. Absalom took it. It was a coup, right? He's saying you're going to taste some of your own medicine. You're a murderer. Well, that was, that was not true. So think about David. He's, his counselor is, 
has abandoned him. Uh, Mephibosheth has abandoned him. Absalom, his his own son, is is going to, if he need be, take David's life to get the throne. And here you have this you have this man who's throwing pelting you with rocks and stones and cussing you relentlessly. And so what does David do? Well, Abiathar wanted to take off his head. Boys and girls, when you want to take somebody's head off, that's called getting in the flesh. That's what the Bible calls that, right? He's getting in the flesh. He wants to cut off his head. You know, you think about it. They're getting pelted by rocks. They're like, man, let me go up there. And these are the mighty men. These are the mighty warriors, right? I mean, they've, they've taken on and defeated giants before. And you have this old fella throwing rocks at you and cussing you. And what does David do? He doesn't do anything. He doesn't allow Abishai to, to kill him. He just figures if the Lord is judging him further for his sin, then he deserves it. And if he isn't, well, maybe the Lord will pay him good for his evil. He's endured. Meanwhile, continuing chapter 16, back in Jerusalem, Absalom has entered Jerusalem and he's seeking counsel from Ahithophel. And Ahithophel, remember, he's the, he's the, the one who gives great counsel for David. And he's going to give great counsel to Absalom as, as, as well. He's going to tell Absalom, this is how you can be king. And he told him to do two things in chapter 16. Two things. Number one, he says, take David's concubines. Remember, David left ten concubines there in Jerusalem. Take those ten concubines, and you're going to sleep with them in public view in front of everybody. You think about David. Well, he did that, but he took Bathsheba, and he did that privately. But now, Absalom is going to do that publicly in front of the whole city to see. And you think, well, why in the world would he ask him to do that? Well, it's an act of treason. You're publicly announcing your coup attempt. And, and we know it's terrible, and we know that it's, it's, it's not right, of course. That's a given. But even Levitical law forbids it. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 11, it says, If a man lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. And we see this elsewhere in Scripture's Adonijah, it's Solomon's older brother, one of David's sons, will attempt to do this with Abishag, one of David's concubines, in 1 Kings chapter 2. And Solomon had him executed because Solomon knew when, you're, when you do this, you're, it's treason. So that's the first thing that he, he advised Absalom to do. And Absalom did it in front of the city, in front of everyone to see. And the second thing in chapter 17, verse 1 through 4, the second thing he told him to do, he says, let me take 12,000 12, men tonight and kill David alone. Look at 17, 1 through 4. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men and I will rise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he was weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic. And all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king, and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. And the advice was good. It was perfect advice for Absalom if he wanted to take the throne. If he wanted to get rid of David once and for all, that's what he should have done. Because guess what? David, they are discouraged. They are weary. They're on the run. And all he had to do was pursue him with those 12,000 men, and he could have overtaken David. But the second point from our text today is God will frustrate every attempt to overthrow the kingdom and will crush his enemies. 
you remember the, the prayer that, that David voiced about Ahithophel's counsel? That he asked God to turn it into foolishness? Well, that's about to happen. Hushai, remember him? He had pledged allegiance to Absalom back in Jerusalem to help David. And after Ahithophel counseled Absalom to pursue David, Absalom decides for, for an odd reason to hear what Hushai had to say. Now Ahithophel gave Absalom the perfect counsel. Take the concubines, let everybody know what you're doing, let them see it publicly, and then go after David to take his life. But Ahithophel, his counsel wasn't heeded. If Absalom listened to Ahithophel, David's done for. But Absalom has what we call itching ears. In the New Testament, we see um, Paul talk about this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. See, Absalom is rebellious against the Lord. He's not very wise and he has what's called itching ears. Paul says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now we think about that in, in regard to the gospel where people, they won't want to hear the truth of the gospel. They won't hear what people, you know, they won't surround themselves with people that tell them what they want to hear. And that's in regard to the gospel. But, but we see that in, in Absalom. He, he wants, he's got itching ears too. And he's wanting to listen to, to any and everything except the right thing, the proper thing to do. So Absalom asked Hushai what he thought. In chapter 17, verse 6 to 13, this is what Hushai does. He points out that Ahithophel probably could not find David. And if this small attack ended in defeat, then all of Absalom's men would be frightened and knowing, you know, David, he's a skillful warrior. And you didn't want this skillful warrior, or this skillful warrior, this mighty soldier to come after you. So what he does is he suggests that Absalom take time, gather as many troops as he could so he can go into battle prepared. And not only that, but he should go into battle with them himself like David used to do. Now why would Hushai tell him to do that? Ahithophel says, get 12,000 men, go now and take David's life. Hushai says, no, 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 don't do that. Gather the troops, get a bunch of people together, as many troops as you can, Take your time. See, Hushai, he knew this young egocentric mind. He knew that David needed time to recuperate. And he knew that this would appeal to Absalom's pride, and indeed it did. Absalom and all his men decided that Hushai's counsel was better. Look at 1714. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Ahithophel gave him great counsel. Do this and you'll win. Absalom wouldn't listen. He listened to Hushai. See, God frustrated Absalom's attempt to overthrow David and, and his kingdom. The enemies of David would all be crushed because God is... Sovereign. We've been talking about that throughout these, these, these study, the sovereignty of God and how God's bringing about his will. You know what happened to Ahithophel? We talk, we talk about his enemies being crushed. Look at verse 23 of chapter 17. 
When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and went off home to his own city. He set his house in order and hanged himself. And he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. God's enemies, David's enemies, will be crushed. You know what happened to Absalom? The next chapter, we won't get to it today. Absalom dies in battle because he listened to Hushai's counsel. What about Shammai? You remember Shammai? The little cussing rock thrower? He was executed by Solomon. He died a criminal's, a traitor's death in 1 Kings chapter 2. So what's the lesson? Lessons don't oppose the Lord and His anointed. What's important in life is that we are loyal to the King. Are you loyal to the King? In the Old Testament, you don't oppose the Lord's anointed. We've seen that. You don't oppose the Lord's anointed. The Messiah is what He's called in the Old Testament. Of course, we live under the New Covenant, don't we? We don't oppose the New Covenant Messiah. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, right? King Jesus. Look at verse 27 through 29 of chapter 17. When David came to Mananine, Shobi the son of Nahash from Rabbah of the Ammonites, and Makur the son of Amiel from Lodabar, and Berzeli the Gileadite from Rogalim, what they do? They brought beds. N notice what all they brought. Beds and basins and earthen vessels. Wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans and lentils, honey, curds and sheep and cheese from the herd. For David and the people with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. You know what? David was weary and he was thirsty and he was discouraged. And he, here we see again the Lord doing what? Meeting David's need. He's taking these three men and he's meeting a big need, not only just for David, but all those who came with David out of Jerusalem. God's faithful to his servant, David. You know, David, he wrote the, he wrote the 23rd Psalm, and many of you, you, all you older people know this by heart, young people maybe not. Verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Probably had this event in mind, right? Hudson Taylor, he says, depend on it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. David is God's anointed. He's, he's made mistakes. He's, he has clay feet, doesn't he? He's blown it, in the, with, it with Bathsheba and Uriah. But he's repented and he's, he's trying to be faithful to the Lord. But God is meeting his needs, never late, never early, always on time, giving David what he needs. And the true, the same is true for us. There was an older lady. She was well known in her little community for her faith, and, and her, she was very bold in, in, in sharing about the gospel and what the Bible taught. And she would stand on her front porch, and she would shout, Praise the Lord! And her next door neighbor was an atheist. He would get so angry when she would go out and shout and out in her front yard. 
he would shout back if he was outside. He would say, there ain't no Lord. Well, the hard, hard times set in and the lady was in need and she needed God to come through, help pay some bills and she needed some groceries and she stood on her porch and she shouted, praise the Lord. God, I need some food. God, send me some groceries. I'm having a hard time, Lord. The next morning, the lady went out on her porch. There was a large bag of groceries, and she shouted again, Praise the Lord! The neighbor, he jumped out of the bushes. He said, I told you what, no, Lord. Lord didn't give you those groceries. I did. The lady, she started jumping up and down and, and clapping her hands. She says, Praise the Lord! You not only sent me groceries, but you made the devil pay for them. God, he's, uh, he's never early, he's never late, he's always on time. Gives us what we need. He gave David what he needed, and he gives us what we need. And God's protected David. Think about David's life. He protected him from the lion. He protected him from the bear. From what else? Goliath. Saul, the Philistines. And here, Absalom. God has been so faithful to David, and I imagine David saying on more than one occasion, great is thy faithfulness. We can say that too, can't we? He's been faithful to us, hasn't he? Third thing from our text today is David, the anointed king of Israel, he's a type of Christ pointing us to the Savior. And We'll talk about this a little later, but we say a type of Christ. What's that mean? hear that sometimes stated. Well, he's, he's like Jesus in some ways. He reminds us of Jesus. Um, of course, David is lacking, right? He's sinful. He's lacking self-control. He wasn't a very good dad. But in many ways, David's suffering provides us with a, a prototype, if you will, of the suffering of Christ. I mean, you read through this story, and if you read through chapter 15 through 20, I'd encourage you to do that. I know many of you have, have been reading ahead. It's, it's hard to read these verses and not think of the Lord being rejected by his own people, the Jews, right, and be accepted by, by the Gentiles. But we see that, don't we, with David being rejected by his own son and many of his own people, but yet these Philistines being so loyal to him. And it's easy to see Absalom's betrayal of his father. We think about who in the New Testament? We think of Judas, right? The betrayer of our Lord. And as David, as he's making, he goes out the east gate and he's making his way toward the wilderness. He crosses the, David crosses the Kidron Brook and he goes up the, to ascend the Mount of Olives. And what, is he, what does the scripture say he's doing? He's weeping. Makes you think about what? Jesus, he crossed that Kidron Valley and he walked up the Mount of Olives towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And what did he do in that garden? He prayed and he wept, right? Shammai cursing David and David didn't retaliate. We think about Jesus. I think about him. I was thinking about him this week as he's on the cross and he's 
in agony and in pain and all these religious leaders and all these people that are walking around gawking at him as he's nailed up there naked and he doesn't retaliate, but yet he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And in this, we're having to stop right in the middle of the story, but most of you know the end of the story. David is is in exile again, running for his life from someone he loved. He was defeat. He was rejected as Israel's king, but he will defeat his enemies and return once again to be king to take his rightful place on the throne. Think about our Lord Jesus. He was rejected, but yet he will return, won't he, one day to subdue his enemies and establish his eternal throne on this earth, right on the new heavens and the new earth. May our hope and trust be in not David, but in the son of David who came to save sinners and to establish his righteous kingdom on the earth. Turn to Psalm 3 as we close. Give you a couple of these. If you're taking notes, give you a couple. You know, these Psalm we go through the Psalms. We, we've done that in the past, studied through a lot of these Psalms, but some of them have headings. This one is a Psalm of David, Psalm 3. If you have the Black Pew Bible, it's page 528. You see the headings, a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And we have several of these in the Psalter. But if you're writing this down, write a couple of these psalms down. Psalm 3, Psalm 63, Psalm 70, and Psalm 71. I want to encourage you to kind of just give you some homework by way of application maybe is to read some of these psalms because David is a psalmist and he wrote, I mean, the psalms that he wrote came out of his life experiences and, and he wrote several because of his experience with Absalom. Psalm 3. Psalm 63, Psalm 70, and Psalm 71. And there's many more, many that he's talking about. He's running from his enemy. We don't know if that's actually written during his time, running from Saul as a young man or from Absalom as an older man. But these, are, we feel pretty confident, it's probably when he was running from Absalom. But let's look at Psalm 3 as we close. He writes about his experience. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Think about all those that's betraying him. Ahithophel, Shemai, so many others. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. 
he writes this, of course, his life was physically at risk, but he writes this and we think about the spiritual ramifications, don't we? Him calling on the Lord and being able to say, lastly, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. What about you? Are you Are you saved this morning? Your blessing be on your people. Can you say that, you know, I'm blessed by the Lord because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm a believer in Christ. I've surrendered to His Lordship. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. And I will live my days trusting Him. And when I die, I'll be with Him always for all eternity. Can you say that? Salvation is from the Lord. Can you say that you are saved, that you're born again? If that's not the case, I want to encourage you to, today to repent. Turn from your life of sin and living for yourself and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus who died that we could be set free from sin. He was put on a cross. He died this terrible death, suffering the wrath of God. Wrath of the Father was poured out on him for the sins of, of man. He was buried on the third day. He rose from the, the dead so that sinners could be justified. Are you justified? Are you saved? Are you born again? If you're, if you're not, repent today. Cry out to the Lord to save you from your sin and be reconciled to the Father who loves you who gave His Son for you. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that You are good. Acknowledge that You you give us so many good blessings, Father. We don't deserve, we don't deserve any of those. We acknowledge that You are so gracious to us. You give common grace to all man. Good man, bad man. But Father, You're a just God who will judge sinners. And Father, I pray for our folks today, if there's anyone here who's yet to bow the knee to Christ, they are opposing You and they're stiff-armed Jesus and they won't yield to His Lordship. I pray that You would soften their hearts. I pray that You would bring conviction and Allow them to see their need for You. Just as David was rejected and all those who opposed him were crushed. Father, You will crush those who oppose King Jesus. Father, save sinners today. Save those who are separated from You today. Father, for us as a church, we recognize that you are, You've been good to us and we see maybe ourselves in Absalom we're sometimes a little too ambitious. We want to repent of that. Father, we, we want to be a people yielded to You and trusting people. Father, help us to be a people who, who daily get up and say, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Thank you for tuning in today. 
Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.